He is running on the beach, the waves a slow, false slap on the shoreline. He wants to get home, and that's why he's running. Why he's running and not driving is because he's drunk. Why he's drunk is because of what happened at the party. Before he started drinking, and then afterward. But he's a smart boy. He's been told this by everyone. And doesn't want to lose anything. His car and his college fund. He doesn't want his mother's gaze to shift. Even as he runs, he can see her face, the way she turns to look at him when he comes in the door, her eyes wide, waiting, relieved that it is he who has walked in the door. She pats the couch, she moves over, collecting her newspaper and crossword puzzles, pencils and reading glasses. He plops down, able to tell her almost everything about his day. Things are good. Things are going to be fine, now and later and forever. He's held it together. So no, nothing will change. Not now. Not for this thing that no one can know about. So he runs, his shirt unbuttoned, his jeans wet, unbelted, stained on the knees in dark circles. Even with only starlight, he can see the dock, and then knows to look right for the rowboat and the canoe, and the path that will lead to the lane and then his street. He will be there in what, seven minutes? He will sneak around the back of the house, up the wisteria vine. Decades old, thick and naughty, and crawl in his window. His mother will never have to know. Betty couldn't help herself, actually. It was because the woman, Jill, a girl, sort of, even though she must be in her late forties, was a stranger. But nice, a teacher, kind and likely caring. She has large breasts and a rounded stomach, the kind of woman who breastfed her babies for too long and who took solid afternoon naps on a well-worn couch. The kind of woman who ate chocolate without worrying. Jill would listen. She would be interested. Also, Betty would never see her again after this odd forced tour week together, the eighteen of them on a bus wending through the Irish hills. A famous castle, a famous stone, a famous crystal factory, a famous church. And then every night here, as with every night for fifty-five years, Betty would lie down to sleep with Art. She on her back, he snoring, her thoughts of darkness over them, her constant unwavering loss and ache, heavier than any hotel duvet. He doesn't wake to comfort her or tell her a story. He doesn't talk of things other than golf or grandchildren or the damn economy. At least he hasn't for years thinking along with everyone else that she should be over it, that her grief is done.